The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The human mind, body, emotions, and spirit are more powerful than anyone can imagine, and we can learn to use them in new and powerful ways to create the life we've always dreamed of. On our program today, with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon, we'll address who you are, how to come to know what you believe and why, how to accept and love yourself, and how you can make changes that help you create the empowered, happy, successful life you want. Now, here's your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Welcome to the Self-Improvement Show. This is Irene Conlon. We're broadcasting from Fountain Hills, Arizona, and I'm so delighted to have you with us today. In fact, I'm excited to have you with us today because we have something really special and perhaps very powerful for you to share. Excuse me. Today we're going to be talking about using meditation to lose weight. I said meditation, not medication. There's a huge difference. Um, Something interesting came in in this morning's avalanche of email, and I'm going to quote just a couple Uh, pieces of it. So I quote, adult obesity in the United States has been climbing steadily for decades. According to recent data, two states have adult obesity rates above 35%. That's really high. 20 states have rates at or above 30%. Every state in the United States has an obesity rate above 20% of their adult population. Now, this does not include obesity among children, and we know that that's on the upswing as well. <clears throat> it's, it's getting to be an alarming statistic. Some of us, and I put myself in this, have tried everything, and the weight stays on. Science now demonstrates that there's much, much more to weight loss than diet and exercise. A pill won't fix it. So what else is there? Now, what if you could meditate and lose weight? Would you do it? We're going to talk about this today. Our guest is the author of the newly published Meditate Your Weight. Tiffany Cruikshank is an international yoga teacher, author, and health and wellness expert. She has a master's degree in acupuncture and oriental medicine with a specialization in sports medicine and orthopedics, and she is the founder of Yoga Medicine. She has treated more than 25,000 patients from around the world using yoga, acupuncture, nutrition, and holistic health. She has been featured in Prevention Magazine, Forbes, Women's Health, Yoga Journal, Self, Marie Claire, and trust me, many other publications. We just didn't have time to name them all here. She has recently published Meditate Your Weight, a 21-day retreat to optimize your metabolism and feel great. When I got the book, I said to myself, yeah, right. 
But I tried to keep an open mind. I absolutely love this book. I'm on my fifth day in her 21-day retreat, and I fully intend to finish all 21 and maybe start all over when I finish. It is an absolute pleasure for me to welcome to the Self-Improvement Show, Tiffany Crookshank. Tiffany, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for the warm welcome. (laughs) Oh, I'm really excited about having you on. Let's start by telling us about yourself and how you became too involved in what you call yoga medicine. Yeah, I guess the the, the short of the long story is um, when I was 14 years old, I was actually a little bit of a troublemaker in my my parents sent me off to a wilderness program, and um, there was an herbalist there, and he would take me out on plant walks. And for me, the whole experience, you know, just learning how to survive was really empowering as a 14-year-old girl, but then learning how to heal and help others was, to me, a really, really interesting thing. And uh, I've, I've studied holistic medicine ever since. I came back and apprenticed with herbalists and finished up high school really quick so I could start college when I was 16 and did my pre-med um, undergrad and um, went on straight into Chinese medicine school. And um, I found yoga around the same time at 14, around the same time I went through that. And um, to me, yoga was very much a, a part of that healing process, that ability to kind of take ownership of our bodies and um, have body awareness and self-awareness that really, to me, is such a, a pivotal part of alternative medicine. You know, you become um, an advocate of your own health and a, a really active participant in that um, so when I started seeing patients, um, I started seeing a lot of yoga students, and um, I noticed really quickly that my yoga students got better a lot faster. They often responded a lot quicker than my, my patients who, who didn't do yoga. So I started giving what I called yoga prescriptions, which were just one or two or three poses. Sometimes it was just breath work. Sometimes it was meditation. Um, and I found that it also helps with, with their healing response, too. So I, I started training my teachers. I was, I was doing teacher trainings at the time, and I started kind of really integrating it into our teacher trainings, and eventually it evolved into now being called Yoga Medicine, where we really work to train yoga teachers to a, to a higher level of, of understanding of both the Eastern and Western body. So there's a lot of anatomy and physiology and, and how to apply it and incorporate it with, with all of the beauty of, of traditional yoga, too, which has so much depth and richness to it, and um, so that they have the capacity to work with doctors and, and really... Not not to replace doctors. We're very clear about that. We're, we're not doctors. We're not healthcare providers. But to be able to guide um, our students on this journey, whether that's just helping them with more mindfulness in, in their health or on specific injuries or illnesses, um, to be uh, able to work a little bit more potently with them. And, and I think that, that what you're saying, I hope people heard that you help them become aware of their own needs in terms of what their body's asking for. I think one of the problems we've had in our Western culture is that we give everybody else responsibility for taking Mm. care of us. And we forget that we're the ones that should be taking the responsibility. Excuse me. Absolutely. I was just having this conversation with another healthcare provider recently too. And it's, you know, it's such an interesting thing. I think it's such a, a pivotal part of alternative medicine is that taking responsibility. And, you know, one of the, I think the biggest problems in our medical system is that a lot of times as patients, we go to our primary care doctor and we put all our trust in one person. And not to say that we should not trust our doctor. Absolutely. You need to have someone that you trust. But, um, 
you know, when, when there's something significant or something that you're not quite sure of, you know, is, is talking to other healthcare providers and our ability as medical providers to interact with other medical um, systems and styles and, you know, this integration of alternative medicine that's so important, I think, as well. And the thing that always amazes me, and I've said this before on the show, is we go to a doctor telling what our problem is. He does some tests and gives us a pill. Uh, and, and we don't then make any of the other lifestyle changes that we may need to make to take care of this issue. <laughs> I w- was seeing a, a physician, and she, we were talking about my weight, and she said I needed to start eating margarine instead of butter. <laughs> and needless to say, I lost confidence in her ability to mm-hmm. guide me in nutrition. <laughs> and and yeah. actually, I moved, and I've 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 re- I've gone really holistic now that I'm away away from where I used to go, which is kind of interesting. That I yeah, and I, I think part of that is is in you know in the patient's hands too. One of of I think it really is up to the patient to start to take responsibility and. And that we all recognize that, you know, our Western doctors can only do so much. Any one healthcare provider, especially now, there's so much information, everyone oh. specializing and, like, to expect one person to be able to take care of our health and our nutrition and our wellness is, like, it's it's crazy. It's 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 a lot of pressure to put on one person. And, um, you know, I think we all need to be involved in this shift in the mindset of medicine and, you know, and that's, you know, both in the doctor's hands of connecting them with nutritionists or with holistic health providers of some sort or in the patient's hands as well as asking, you know, asking more questions, talking to other providers. And, and I think this change is slowly coming about, but it is coming about. And I think it's exciting to see it. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, one of the things I think is such a strength in your book is that you use some really, I mean, some hard science uh, regarding weight loss and meditation. Talk a little bit about the science behind using meditation as a weight loss tool, because that's a whole new concept. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the biggest things is is not necessarily a, a far-fetched, you know, concept scientific-wise is, you know, just this connection to the cortisol. And one of the big things I see, especially nowadays in our, you know, modern world with um, men and women all working many, many hours in every day, and um, even those who, who maybe don't have a job putting in now more hours to take their kids to probably twice as many activities. I know my my partner's kids, we drive them around, and I'm like, gosh, I don't remember going to this many things as a kid. So I think I whoever you are, it's, it's increasing dramatically, and our ability to respond appropriately to stress is, I, I would say, for most people, off kilter. And, um, you know, regulating this cortisol responses is not an easy thing because, one, it's something that we run into every day, every potentially every hour of every day, but two, our bodies become somewhat programmed in that response. Um, you know, one with our, our ability to, you know, release cortisol at, at regular healthy intervals, but also the response of the nervous system and, and how it responds to stress and, you know, this par- what we often talk about is the parasympathetic tone, um, which really is our body's capacity to repair and heal and properly digest and absorb nutrients which also feed our metabolism. There's, you know, there's so many different sides of it. You know, I'd say probably those two are, are the big points. 
So what does, for, the, for the, the listeners who really aren't tuned into what cortisol is and what it does, how does it inhibit your weight loss, your ability to lose weight? Well, the cortisol changes how your body basically metabolizes your food, how it processes your food, and how it um, stores calories in your body. So we often think of, of fat as a, a adipose tissue. You know, we, we kind of... Uh, we kind of confuse the fat that we consume with the fat that's in our bodies. And the way that our bodies metabolize food determines how our bodies store it into the cellulite or our adipose tissue in our bodies and, and how our energy stores are maintained and, and looked after as well. So, you know, for someone who's under a lot of stress, the body oftentimes will kind of start to hoard calories and, and, and start to change the way that our bodies um, basically store things in them, which is a really important factor in weight loss we see. Um, we see a lot. So you're saying that stress has us produce more cortisol, which then has us not not utilize our food properly, or it's stored improper in, in a way that isn't helpful to us. Is that yeah? It even blocks our ability to 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 lose weight or to you know metabolize fat in particular. Yes, that fat does have a way of hanging on there, doesn't it? <laughs> we're, we're almost at break time. I think we'll go to break. So when we come back, we can start a whole new thought because what you have to say about using meditation for weight loss is so critical. I don't want to break it up. This is Irene Conlon with my guest, Tiffany Crookshank, saying stay tuned. We'll be right back with more. Build your better business. Achieve that goal. Make good on that resolution. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. It's time to access your magic. Tune in each week to Living in the Magic of Possibilities with your host, Glenice Hughes. Our topics cover finances, personal health, business, relationships, mediumship, and so much more. If you want to access all that is possible in your life, listen to Glenice and her expert guests who've turned the impossible into the possible. Living in the Magic of Possibilities is heard live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are tuned in to The Self-Improvement Show with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Got a question for Irene or her guests? Call into our live show at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Connect with Irene via email. Our address is theselfimprovementblog at gmail.com. Now, let's get back to The Self-Improvement Show. Here again is Dr. Irene Conlon. Welcome back to The Self-Improvement Show. My guest today is Tiffany Crookshank. 
who is the author of Meditate Your Weight, a wonderful little book. I really recommend that you get it if you've had a weight problem. Um, It may be just the ticket for you. If you haven't meditated, you know, this has the clearest instructions for meditation that I've heard. Tiffany, we're talking about meditation for weight loss. Let's say I've never meditated. I got your book, I'm Learning to Meditate. What can I expect to take place? What changes can I expect or look for when I began using meditation specifically for weight loss? This is, it's, you know, it's not, a, it's not your quick magic bullet. You know, what we see with weight loss and what we see with um, just health in general is that the, the things that we can, we can stick to for long periods of time are really going to be the significant impact. So it's definitely not a diet where, you know, you shed 10 pounds in one week. Um, but what we're looking for is, is slow weight loss that can be really maintained, which is much more important over long periods of time without necessarily having larger, you know, building um, commitments to that, you know, to be able to meditate for 5 or 10 or maybe even 20 minutes if you wanted to. Um, but just for short periods, you know, consistently to be able to see those results. In my experience um, with women losing weight, and, and so, you know, I created my first book was a, was a detox. It was Optimal Health for a Vibrant Life, and it really was looking at nutrition, yoga, home remedies, um, all sorts of different, you know, things that you can do to optimize your health. Um, and, and I got that from really working with a lot of patients to, to lose weight and, um, and living in L.A. and New York, working with celebrities who always want to look better and <laughs> feel better, um, but also, also everyone else as well. Um, but what I found was that there was also this small margin of people who, I actually I wouldn't even say small margin, but a, a margin of people, especially with the growth of the Internet, who were doing all of what I say the right things, you know, they were eating really well and they were exercising and, um, and, and weren't getting any results. And so after my first book, I, I put out this next book. It was really a response to that of looking at kind of the what I see as the main limiting factor, especially when everything is really lined up well and, and you know, no one's 100% perfect, but when you're, you're eating healthy most of the time and you're exercising regularly, um, the power of the mind, you know, we, we talked a little about the science behind it and the cortisol and the nervous system and, you know, our tendency to, to hoard fat around the belly when... Um, there's not this normal cortisol rhythm in the body or when the cortisol is high even. Um, but when we look at this, I think when people are meditating, when they start this program, it's not necessarily the instant weight loss that we're going for. Um, with the patients that I've worked with, usually people will start to see results after a month or so, um, but they continue to kind of increase over time, which is why we started with the 21-day program. But but I think most of what people see is a change really that gets them hooked in in how they feel. There's a lot of studies out now about um, increases in cognitive function, um, things like memory and attention span and concentration, um, both in younger generations as well as older generations. Um, And we see a lot of that effect both on cognitive function and mood and just overall outlook. And I think that's usually what really hooks people into it. And that allows them to keep doing it long enough to, you know, slowly start to see the effects on the metabolism and the weight. I, yeah, I was really delighted when, when, 
with your description, excuse me, I'm not speaking today, description of dictums about posture and all the other things that we associate with meditation. Most most, um, graphics of meditation have someone sitting in a lotus position, straight back (laughs) and all of these things. Talk to people about the practicality of Western meditation (laughs) a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people have this idea of of meditation as as either being some strange new age thing or maybe being really difficult or having to sit in lotus or or even, I think, nowadays meditations become more popular than I ever thought it would have been. Um, But I think one of the big hang-ups now is that now that people are starting to understand it more is this idea that your mind has to be still or that... Maybe you're not meditating unless you can sit still. And, you know, for me, the meditation practice is really, it's kind of like going to the gym where you go and you build your muscles over time in that I think of it every time my my mind wanders off and I bring it back, it's like I'm strengthening that mindfulness muscle. So it's really not about being still or or quieting my mind to, to think about nothing, but to continue to bring it back to whatever I'm focusing on. Maybe that's my breath. Maybe that's... Um, a, a mindful repetition or some imagery. You know, we do a bunch of different types of meditation in the book, but to bring it back to whatever it is that I'm, I'm focusing on. And, you know, that's really the power of the meditation is just bringing it back over and over to strengthen that, what we often hear called this, this mindfulness capacity of, um, you know, the meditation practice. And it works. Now, I, I don't know what's, I can't put my finger on exactly what it is that's different about the way you explain it. But it's very clear, and it's non-judgmental, and it's it it works <laughs> for me anyway. It yeah. works, and I think what? that's one of the big things with weight loss too is we put so much judgment on everything. I remember graduating from from Chinese medicine school, and I think probably anyone who's gone to holistic. Uh, medicine school or, or health school of some sort, you know, you leave and there's this, this period of like recovery of, of you recognize all these bad things around you and you almost have to kind of like let go of that a little bit. I think what's important is we have so much judgment about our foods, about our exercise, about how we look, about how we feel, um, about comparing ourselves to other people on social media or on the internet to me, a really big part of the meditation practice is also this practice of non-judgment, which I don't know if, if anyone ever is able to do that all the time. Um, you know, there's constantly judgments, and so it's, it's, a, it's a constant uh, work in progress of being able to, you know, be what we talk about in meditation is like an observer. You know, I, I like to compare it to parents, and, and I'm not a parent. I, my partner has kids, so I, I know secondhand, but, um, you know, as parents... I, you can imagine that there's this this potential, you know, you start to see your child doing something. I, I, I feel this with my, my partner's teenage girl. You know, you start to see them doing things, and you want to help them. You want to, you know, steer them in the right direction, and you start to kind of interact and get involved. And, um, you know, r- really a part of the process of meditation is, is being able to see these things without getting involved, being able to be an observer. And the observer mindset is this idea of non-judgment, of being able to go, oh, look, my breath is choppy today, or mm, my shoulders are tight today, and, or mm, maybe I feel more sluggish today, or hmm, maybe I'm craving this food because I, I feel lonely today, or because I haven't been eating today. And, you know, I think that's a big part of it. We see the science behind why meditation is really important, but I think a lot of the mindfulness of our eating habits, 
of our self-awareness, our body awareness, our, you know, our, our, our self-image um, is, is such a, a huge part of it, which I think is, you know, I address a lot in the book that I think is a really big part that gets overlooked. I think self-image is, is critical. And, you know, when you've dieted and exercised and done all of these things and you look in the mirror and there's no change and you don't like what you see, the tendency is to say, I can't do it. Why bother? And you've brought, you know, a whole new um, venue to this arena of, of getting your body in the in shape that you're more content with, I guess is what I'd say. And it's almost a self-perpetuating cycle. You know, the more we focus on food and exercise and having to look a certain way, the more we feel kind of this, this inadequacy in ourselves. And so, um, you know, I think there's a balance. And to me, it's not just about meditating. You know, you can't just meditate and lose weight and do no. something else. You know, and go back and eat candy bars and, you know, sit at your desk all day. That's not going to work. No, it to doesn't me, burn the, off. The, it's about the mindfulness. It's about the mindfulness. One of the things you say that I found very interesting, you know, because we're a society that kind of takes pride in multitasking. I hear people brag about how many things they can be doing (laughs) at once. And you say, no brain loves multitasking. Can you expand on that a little bit and say what and tell us why that's an important concept? Yeah. I mean, the brain isn't built to do several things at once. And, and, you know, when we start to look at it that way, what ends up happening is, is we think we're being more efficient. You know, we feel like it. We feel this pride in, like, being able to get several things done at once. But what happens is either we've sacrificed the quality or we, you know, lose track of things or, um, you know, we see this in our lives, you know, interacting with our loved ones who might be home having dinner and maybe someone's on their phone and someone's grabbing a phone call and someone, you know, and, and that lack of presence, you know, diminishes the experience with, with the people that you love as well. And with our bodies, our ability to stay focused on one thing really allows us to be more efficient. It allows us to concentrate. And, um, you know, it's really the practice of meditation is bringing your awareness back and, you know, coming away from this natural human tendency to want to be distracted and do a million things at once and instead to be able to do one thing really well and then move on to the next. And you bring this, you know, toward the end of the book when you're talking about eating habits uh, and and to be aware of your food. Uh, it, it, why is that so important? You, you say don't stand, don't sit at the computer, don't stand up to eat, don't in front of TV. Uh, I'm thinking I do all of those. <laughs> <laughs> I do all of those. Why well, there's, a, there's a couple different points. One is that you know when we slow down, there's a part of the digestive process that happens in the process, one, of just making food. That's why cooking is, is actually great for your digestion because you're smelling the foods. It's uh, releasing saliva and stomach acid, and it's preparing the digestion before you start eating. Um, the nervous system gets to slow down into this parasympathetic mode where it can start to move all of its attention into the digestive system. Um, so there's a lot of it, whether you're preparing your food or just sitting down and slowing down and really focusing on it, that this experience of tasting the food stimulates the digestion as well. Um, you know, I think, I think that's a big part of it that we forget about is this ability to just slow down. But the other side of it, too, to me, is that um, a lot of times there, there's so many different diets out there. There's a, there's a million different oh. ways to eat. And, you know, I think each one of them is good for someone. 
And the hard part is really identifying and understand which one is really helpful for you. And so, you know, for me, one thing that I've found really helpful with my patients, I don't really advocate one diet, but what's really important is that we pay attention to how we feel both during and after eating the food, both immediately as well as maybe hours or days later, so that we can really pay attention to how much do I need to eat, how often do I need to eat, what foods make me feel better, um, even blood work can be very difficult to really identify what foods our body responds well to. And so it's, it's, it's a big part of it, I think. And this brings up a lot of questions. I think we're going to go to break now. So when we come back, we can talk about this whole idea of mindful awareness when we eat our food. This is Irene Conlon with my guest, Tiffany Crookshank, saying stay tuned. We'll be back with more. on Facebook along with some of the greatest minds of the world and that includes you visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment do you have complete control over your thoughts and your life it seems like we do but there are always outside forces that are wreaking havoc with that control how do we get our thoughts back on track so to speak listen for help my thoughts are holding me hostage with Dr. Jeffrey Fannin When you command the power of thought, you can achieve or have whatever you want. Make the laws of the universe work for you. Tune in every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. When is the last time you saw sparkles of life in your day? Each day holds a treasure, the extra in the ordinary. It is too easy to miss them because they're familiar and we take them for granted. If you want to add sparkle to your day, listen to Mighty Gems, spotlighting everyday jewels with Dee Lee. She offers a new way to view the world and to discover your own Mighty Gems in daily life. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned in to The Self-Improvement Show with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Got a question for Irene or her guests? Call into our live show at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Connect with Irene via email. Our address is the self improvement blog at gmail.com. Now, let's get back to the self improvement show. Here again is Dr. Irene Conlon. Welcome back to the self improvement show. My guest today is Tiffany Kirkshank, who's authored the book Meditate Your Weight. We've been talking about food, eating, diets, all of those lovely things that some of us really even don't like to think about anymore. Uh, We're talking during the break about how this whole approach now lets you enjoy food again. Most of us consider food to be our enemy when we have a weight uh, weight challenge, we shall call it. Um, What is mindful eating, Tiffany? Let's talk about mindful eating and what it can do for you in terms of your relationship with food. Yeah. 
First off, I think it's, it is a really big problem. I think, you know, food, like, like we were mentioning on the break, food has become our enemy. And I think whether you're, whether you're skinny or overweight, mildly overweight or obese, um, I, I think it's, it's kind of across the board that food, we've become so educated about it through social media and the internet, um, that, that we've, we have this really interesting relationship with food. And I, I really believe that our relationship with food is, is one of the big things that needs to be repaired. Um, this, this mindfulness or, or mindful eating, we, we talked a little bit about before the break of, of really slowing down to really be conscious of, you know, just the process of chewing and, and the digestion that happens just when you, um, taste your food and experience it and the secretion of digestive enzymes that happens um, when you, you slow down and eat more mindfully and pay attention to your eating and as well as paying attention to how your food affects you, which, you know, I think is really important. And, you know, to, to rebuild this relationship with food that allows us to, you know, eat things, but for me it's not so much, and obviously there are therapeutic diets on some points where we actually need to. There are, are some, you know, therapeutic modifications that need to happen where you cut things out absolutely. Um, and, and those are, I think, the, 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 um, not necessarily the norm. But for most people, you know, I think what the big thing is is that being able to repair this relationship with food, one that, you know, allows us to eat and enjoy food sometimes. But for me, it's not about whether it's right or wrong, but really looking at why am I eating right now? You know, shifting this relationship from, you know, Maybe maybe I'm going out with friends and having a social occasion, and, and maybe that's that's fine. I think that's nourishing in its own in its own effect. You know, to share a dessert or enjoy a dessert or enjoy some wine and and have a good time, which you know feeds us on on one level, you know, as well. Um, in addition to maybe looking at something like you know feeding because um, I had some really traumatic event in my life, or I'm feeling really lonely, or you know I'm. I'm Maybe I'm, I'm missing some of that sweetness in my life somehow. Um, and again, it's not necessarily that I ask my patients to sit down and go, oh, I'm, I'm craving this because of this emotional upset or because, you know, I, I, I need this comfort food and I'm not going to have it now. It's more just to notice that that's happening, to go, oh, wow, I am craving this as a comfort food. Hmm, maybe today I'll have that. But if I start noticing that over and over, my body starts to go, hmm, maybe I need to change this cycle. And I can at least have the choice to do that rather than operating out of this, this constant habitual kind of autopilot, you know. And, and maybe it's just simply like I haven't eaten for five hours. My body's starving. My body's really smart. It knows that when I eat sugars and carbohydrates, I'm going to get energy really quickly. And, and maybe I just need to set up my day differently. But the mindfulness of that to me is what's really crucial of, of, of really just looking and, and seeing what's happening behind the scenes. And some of us just eat because the clock says it's time to. Yeah. <laughs> We're not particularly hungry or not hungry. Yeah. You talk about busting through mental blocks, and you call meditation the queen of all good habits. Why is that? You know, why is meditation the queen, and what kind of mental blocks? can we bust through? Yeah, I think for, for weight loss, some of the, the biggest mental blocks, um, you know, we've mentioned a little bit already, um, things like my relationship with food, my kind of my view of myself, um, 
you know, the, the typical scenario where, you know, someone who's really overweight, who maybe has to move differently to get through a doorway, they, they lose weight and they still continue to move differently. There's this kind of this reset that has to happen with the nervous system. And, and I use it in the opposite direction in that, you know, I, I find that there's a, a lot of my patients who are overweight who can't recalibrate in, in the sense that they, they can't even really visualize themselves or imagine themselves in that healthy body. And so this visualization is really important for the nervous system to be able to start to make those changes. It's a, it's a really important part of it. And so, um, you know, I think looking at the mindset, both, you know, in, in regards to our relationship to food as well as our relationship to ourselves, you know, and then in the book at the, at the, at the end, not to give away the end, but at the end we also look at, you know, how that relates to the people around us. You know, our ability in this world is, is to lose weight can be somewhat selfish, you know, to ourselves. But the reality is that the bigger picture is that in order, you know, kind of like the air mask on the airplane, in order to be really productive and be of service to my family, to this community, to this world, you know, I have to find this sense of health to operate from myself. Do you find that many people who have been obese and fought it for most of their life have a hard time making the shift to see themselves as they as they are? Do they have I mean as they are now with some weight loss, a healthier body, or do they still see themselves as out of control, too heavy? So can they can they make the shift? Absolutely. I think, you know, I think the longer that someone's been overweight, the harder it is to get past that mental block. And in my experience, it's the hardest part. I've worked with a lot of people who are, are, you know, really significantly overweight or obese. And most of them can, can give up the food, can do the diets, you know, they might fall off and come back and forth. But to me, I think the hardest thing for that, for really the, the heavily overweight or the obese people, um, is really the mental blocks, is being able to reframe it. it was, for, many, for many obese people, they've been obese since they were kids, and we see that now a lot um, in childhood obesity as well as, um, you know, people who are growing up this way, and they don't have any other really view of reality. Their view of the world is from this body, and it's a very different, you know, way to inhabit the world where you have to maybe even, you know, move differently to get through a doorway or sit differently to fit in your seat or um, all the tiny little shifts and, and differences in moving in, in different frames of bodies. One of the things you say in your book that really struck me, and I think it applies to a number of other things besides stress, you say researchers are finding that it's not the stress itself that causes damage, but the belief that stress adversely affects your health that causes the problem. Is this true of then self-image or your belief that you you can do all the diets, but you'll never lose weight? This kind of thinking, is this sort of an across-the-board type of rule? Yeah, absolutely. They they did a study where they actually looked at... um, People who believed that stress was healthy, so they educated them and said, you know, stress is good for you, it pushes you forward, it helps you achieve your goals, and they had another group where they were, like, educating them on how bad it is, and they told them about all the effects on their health, and the results were astonishing in the two groups and how their bodies, this one group was really resilient to stress, and the other, the other group was, you know, their bodies were really responding in a very negative way. Um, you know, I think 
the power of our mind, you know, we see over and over and over, you know, there's a, there's a lot of, um, I was posting some stuff recently, there's a lot of interesting research coming up on this placebo effect, you know, and then what we think of often as, an, as a negative effect of, you know, oh, that's just in your head, but this in your head thing is also the power of our minds. Um, and more and more doctors and researchers are starting to look at it and take a, take, you know, take a hold of that effect, which is, is a very important one and, and a really significant one. Um, and, you know, I think it really just goes to show when we look at, at things like um, metabolism and body weight, this mindset, for me, I, I can't overemphasize this enough. I think, you know, there's a lot of great gems in the book, um, but I would say, you know, one of the biggest things is this mindset thing for people who are overweight and have been for for even just a few months, but especially for years or decades, um, getting past to that part of it is very difficult. And if I can shift and help them kind of reframe their mindset, both of their perception of themselves and how they interact with their environment and their world and, and their food, um, it's a much more powerful place than to be like, you can't eat this, you can't eat this, eat this, don't eat yeah. this. Here's five foods. You've got to kill yourself to do this. <laughs> There's five foods you should never eat, but they never really tell you what the five foods are. <laughs> Some of these things that come come across in your email. And I suppose that the same idea could apply to using meditation for weight loss. If I absolutely believe that this is going to help turn me around, then it probably absolutely will. Yeah, I mean, the belief in it, they've, they've seen that in the placebo studies, too, is like our belief and our openness to it. And gosh, I was reading a research article recently looking at the effects of meditation and which, um, which, um, which kind of behavioral types respond better. And they showed that people who were more open were, were more responsive to meditation. And in the placebo groups as well, people who are um, more open-minded about it or positive about it respond a lot better. So, you know, again, this just reaffirms, again, the power of, of our mind as we believe in it. And it sounds so silly, you know, maybe a decade ago, I think even myself might have laughed at that. You know, I think I knew it, you know, even in the yoga community, we, we knew it, we believed in it, but we didn't really understand why. And I think another reason why the research is really helpful because we start to understand why, and it also then helps us believe and understand it and and kind of reframe our mindset as well. And the research is irrefutable. I mean, they can tell you exactly what is happening in your brain when you meditate and, mm. uh, you know, the, the influence it has and how it affects the rest of your body. Uh, it's it's pretty compelling evidence. Yeah, and, you know, it's, it's coming. Yeah. It's, it's coming. <laughs> we're, get, we're getting there. Um, yeah, there's a lot more than there was, you know, a decade ago. Um, there's so many people out there working hard on it. There's definitely a lot more to learn, but, you know, I, I'd say we've learned a great deal more than I ever thought we would have. <laughs> well, and we're discovering how incredibly powerful the mind is and how some of the things that we've been taught in, you know, I guess I want to say in some of the more new agey things uh, about meditation, visualization, uh, they they really work even if they were taught to us from a little different perspective. You know, yeah. Some of these things are quite powerful if you can begin to visualize your body the way you really want it to be in, instead of how you think it is now. Your body yeah. you know, it doesn't know the difference between what's real and imagined. 
And it's exactly. going to get you yeah. there. I mean, it will get you there if you do some of the other right things. Yeah, yeah and we, I think understanding that science is really important for me. You know, I was brought up, my parents are very conservative, and, and I've always loved science and math and things that I can really kind of wrap my brain around. And so, you know, I think many p- other people are like that as well. And so being able to bring the science in to really understand it, even though I've, you know, I've always really been interested in the, you know, the new agey, holistic stuff, you know, I, I really needed that science. And, um, you know, I think it helps bring it all together in a really modern, relevant way. And um, I think our nervous systems respond to that as well. I, th- I totally agree with you. And, you know, I've become more and more holistic. I have a nursing background. I've been in it most of my life. And um, I, my my viewpoint on all things holistic has changed. Um, <laughs> I really am right in the holistic camp. <laughs> and, and it makes total sense. I, you know, the, one of the things I could never understand, and I've said this on this show over and over, is how we think we can take one little pill and it's going to change our health picture, but we don't realize that what we put in our mouth in the way of food three or four times a day <laughs> also has that same kind of powerful impact. So we put in yeah, kind which of- is, I think why it's really important just to think about think about that. You know, like I, I often like to have people think about their body as a machine. You know, what what kind of fuel are you feeding yourself? You know, what what nourishment are you feeding yourself? You know, we think of food, I see this with my, my partner's kids a lot. You know, they eat because, you know, what do you want to eat? What sounds good? What sounds tasty? And, you know, trying to reframe their perceptions. One of our, one of his kids is, is really into soccer. She's incredible. And, you know, trying to get her to reframe, like, you know, how are you going to feel yourself to go play soccer, you know, and, and thinking about, you know, whatever it is you do during your day, like how, how are you fueling what you're doing today, whether that's feeling better or losing weight or, you know, being more clear in your head and, and being able to work more efficiently um, or just have more energy. Um, I think it's an important thing to shift and that can be really simple is just, you know, acknowledging that your food is your nourishment. One of the things I like to ask you know, people who, who can't quite get it, you know, are you a Model T Ford or are you a Lamborghini? Yeah. <laughs> well, what, what kind of fuel would you put in your Lamborghini? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> they won't put regular, I can pretty well guarantee. Yeah. And so if you're a Lamborghini, are you going to put, uh, you know, a fast food hamburger in it? Now, are, are you going to put something that's nutritious? And it's just an attention getter, but you know, there's not one person that would put regular gas in a Lamborghini that I've ever asked the question of. <laughs> yeah. I think thinking of that, too, you know, if you think of your food as, as medicine, you know, like you were kind of mentioning earlier about pills, putting pills into your body, is, you know, it kind of reframes the whole conversation of, of what do I eat. It does, you know, and I I go back to Hippocrates who says, let medicine be your food and food be your medicine. And yet we've totally ignored it in the Western, in our Western culture. And it's, it's pretty critical. You think in the beginning we ate nuts and berries and things that we could pick and we don't do that anymore. We go to the grocery store and, and pick something that's got <laughs> who knows yeah, what in it. A little it. different. A, a, a totally different thing. One of the things <laughs> yeah. you talk about is creating your own food atlas 
what what is a food atlas? What do you mean by that? And and you know, I, I, I we could read every page in this book to the audience, and still they need this book because it's it's I, to me it's one of these things that you want to keep around and and do it over and over because you you miss so much the first read you'll get it in the second or third. It's rich. <laughs> it's rich. It's what's yeah, food you know. The Food Atlas is really just kind of looking at it. It's really just helping you to, to kind of track that mindfulness of the eating patterns. And, you know, it doesn't necessarily need to be done a specific way. You know, we have an outline that kind of guides people through it. But the big thing is, you know, the mindfulness of eating sometimes is how we feel while we're eating. Sometimes it's how we feel afterwards. But to really track how foods affect us, it is helpful to write it down. So it's, you know, it's kind of taking note of, you know, my hunger level, my energy level, you know, what I'm eating, how I feel after. Afterwards, you know, if there are other symptoms that, that people are having or, you know, maybe issues with energy or sleep or even skin or hormones. Uh, hormones, you know, takes a lot longer to really look at how that affects you. But and, and even more so significant to write it down because next month you probably won't remember. <laughs> and to be able to kind of watch how, you know, if our food is medicine, if we are thinking about our food that way, I want to be tracking it, you know, like an experiment and see, you know, what should I be eating? What should I be doing? And, um, um, you know, it's hard to remember all those details and it doesn't necessarily need to be every single detail, but writing down enough so that you can start to be your own detective, you know, your own kind of researcher to the process that, you know, to me, and you know, there's the big difference between alternative medicine and Western medicine. Western medicine, you know, in my opinion is, you know, a big part of it is keeping us alive. You know, it's, it's, incredible. It's amazing the things that we can do and these life-saving procedures that we can have. And, um, and you know, it's, it's very much you show up and the doctor does the work for you. In alternative medicine, it's, it's really about optimizing your health and how you feel and, you know, that vitality and is very much about you putting in the research and having the doctor help you, you know, coordinate, well, okay, well, if, that, if that's what's happening, let's try this. Come back and tell me how it feels now. And, um, you know, so in this alternative, you know, landscape, alternative medicine landscape, it becomes really crucial that the patient is really being interactive in the process. And, you know, a lot of that we can do on our own with food because, you know, food's not a regulated substance. So we can kind of pay attention to how things affect us and, and do our own research. So you're saying that if I have three cups of coffee and I get really shaky and don't know why, <laughs> if I track that a few days in a row, I might think I need to cut back to maybe one cup. <laughs> or if I scarf down that brownie that's sitting innocently in the pan and I yep. think, well, somebody needs to eat it. And I get shaky and uh, my blood sugar drops to below zero. Maybe I shouldn't, or goes a sky high. Mine usually goes crazy when I have anything like that. Maybe if I write it down, I'll see a pattern here. <laughs> yeah, and again, the meditation part of it is the non-judgment. It's not like, oh, shame on you, you shouldn't have had your brownie, or shame on you for, for eating this or that. But, but again, just noticing. And, you know, I would say caffeine becomes a really tricky one. It's one that I often like to have people come off of, um, at least most of the time, because it, it actually skews a lot of our, our vision of our energy levels and our blood sugar, which is a really big thing with, with cortisol levels and metabolism and weight loss and, um, 
and my ability to see my energy levels. Now, it doesn't mean people never drink caffeine, but it, it means that, you know, they're using it more, more sparingly so that they can actually see instead of going, oh, I'm really tired because either I haven't eaten or I haven't slept or I'm overstressed, to be able to go, oh, wow, I am actually tired. Maybe, maybe I need to, to slow down, and, and sometimes that's not possible. But to recognize, you know, that there's something that needs to be fixed rather than just you know, pouring the, the caffeine on to cover it up until one day our body's just completely burnt out. <laughs> no more. One of the yeah. things I think is extremely interesting is that you say throw your scale away. Mm. Throw your scale yeah. away. Measure your success by how you feel. Yeah, I, I really think that's a big one. I think, you know, the scale is one of those things we get caught up on again with these numbers. And, um, you know, especially... Um, you know, with water weight, water weight can fluctuate quite a bit. You can do a, a juice fast or something and lose a lot of water weight and be very excited because you lost 10 pounds. But, you know, that can fluctuate quite a bit. For, for a lot of women I work with, they can, you know, they can range, you know, a little bit. But what's important is how they feel. You know, how, you know, women, usually we know pretty quickly by how our clothes fit. Um, you know, men probably as well. Um, but we usually wear a little tighter clothing than men do, so, you know, we can tell pretty quickly. And um, how we feel, I think, is the important part. Again, when we get so focused on how we look or the numbers, um, a lot of times it, it, it reverts us into that judgment mode. And for me, it's, it's more about, like, how do I feel? How am I interacting with the people I love? How am I being efficient at work? I think those become really the more relevant things, you know, topics to, to look at. And most of us aren't tuned into thinking that way anymore after you've been on every diet that's been published or on Dr. Oz or someplace. Uh, you, you don't think about, how do I feel? You just yeah, think, and about, I think well, did I there lose comes some a, weight? There comes this problem, too, where, you know, I've, I've seen with a lot of people in, in my own family as well is, is this, this yo-yo dieting that, that really can be more detrimental to the metabolism than anything. And so there can be this kind of like this detox phase of like stopping the dieting so that your metabolism can actually reset, which, which can take a little while. And I think meditation is a big part of that kind of nourishment to kind of send this signal to our bodies like, I'm not starving you. I'm not, you know, I'm not taking you on marathons or trying to abuse you or, or, um, I'm just going to nourish you, and I'm going to try and support this natural process that our bodies are meant to metabolize. Our bodies know how to do this. It's just supporting that natural process instead of trying to um, deprive it or, or um, even needing to fix it so much. And really kind of reframing that, I think, is a, is a really big, big part of it. It sounds like, you know... It sounds too good to be true, and yet it is. <laughs> now, I, I, what I hear you saying is, if you stick with something like this program, the, the meditation will do a lot of things to help heal your nervous system, for one thing. It does a lot of other things. But then as you begin to eat in a way that satisfies you, you allow yourself to enjoy your food and all of those things that your body will come back into balance. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. And I, I think, you know, this 
too-good-to-be-true thing, you know, is correct. You know, the reality is it's not a diet where you're just going to instantly lose weight, you know, but it's something that you're committing to just a few minutes a day for a long term that, you know, can really slowly over time really make significant long-term changes. I hate to say this. We are absolutely at the very end of the show. What's the thought you'd like to leave with our listeners today, Tiffany? I'd say just start simple. You know, take a few minutes to sit down at the beginning of your day and just notice your breath. Notice the qualities of it and and just start with that simple mindfulness as a way to kind of tune into your experience in your body. Well, all I can say is thank you so much for, for coming on the show today and for writing this book, Meditate Your Weight, a 21-day retreat to optimize your metabolism and feel great. You can get uh, her links off my blog, the self-improvement blog. Please get this book. Tiffany, thank you so, so much for being with us today. And thank you for having me. Absolutely loved it. This is Irene Conlon and my guest Tiffany Crookshank saying thank you so much for being with us today and come back next week for more of the Self-Improvement Show. Thank you again for joining Dr. Irene Conlon for the Self-Improvement Show. Please listen again next Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Remember that improvement out there starts in here.